Our scripture reading uh, is from the first chapter of the Gospel of Mark, starting at the ninth verse. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove him, that is Jesus, out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan, and he was with wild beasts. And the angels waited on him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord may my words and may our hearts, whatever we think and say and do, be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our, and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I should apologize to Donald. The name of this sermon is R&B. If I'd known Donald was coming, I would have called it Bluegrass. <laughs> <laughs> well, R&B, both this title and the Gospel of Mark are what more sermons need to be. Short and to the point. Mark tells the story of Jesus in a breathless kind of way often saying, and immediately this, and immediately that. One preacher wrote that if we just had Mark and we didn't have the other three Gospels, we would miss out on Matthew's account of John the Baptist having that conversation with Jesus, trying to get Jesus to, oh no, let you baptize me. We'd also miss Matthew and Luke's story of the three temptation debate between Jesus and the devil out in the wilderness. Mark gives us some detail, but the 134 words of these seven verses pack in, first, Jesus' baptism, second, his temptation in the wilderness, and third, his first presentation of the gospel. Now, for me, the remarkable thing about his account of, of the baptism and the temptation is the dramatic role of the Holy Spirit. After Jesus had baptized by John in the Jordan, he's coming out of the water. The heavens are torn apart. They don't gently part in soft music. They're torn apart, ripped apart. And the spirit, like, like a dove, descends on him. And that's when they hear the voice, You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. And then immediately, as Mark likes to say, immediately the spirit drives him out into the wilderness. Not leads him gently, not suggests, but drives him into the wilderness for the temptation. Have you been, have you been driven into the wilderness at times in your life? I'm pretty sure you did not see or hear Satan in person, but haven't you had wilderness times in your life where, where you were tempted, tempted to do things that you knew did not fit your life? character, things that you knew were violations of your values, 
things you, you wanted no one to ever find out about. And they always do. In Mark's gospel, we read that Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan and with the wild animals and the beasts and angels waited on him. Well, you know the experience of being tempted, but don't you also know the experience of being attended to by angels of sorts? Are not there people in your life who have been the angels that you needed, who did just the right thing at just the right time to minister to your needs? It may have been a call that came at the right time. It may have been a word that came at the right time. Someone told me the other day, I had posted a, uh, a link to an article, and they said, you, it was just what I needed to read right then. Haven't there been people who helped you like that? And have you not also found opportunities for you to be that angel for someone else who needed you? To bring them a cool glass of water or a hot cup of coffee. To say an encouraging word or, or to share a side-splitting joke just when you need, they need it. Well, I do, I do believe that one thing that the Holy Spirit does is prompt us to be what you could call the angelic waiters who help other people. Well, the third part of our reading from this first chapter in Mark is Jesus' first presentation of the gospel. It comes fast, so listen close. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Well, there it is. Repent and believe, R&B. So what does it mean to repent? Well, it's not just confession as we did earlier. I did it. I confess. It's more than that. It's more than an apology. I did it and I'm sorry I did it. No, it's more than that. It's more than a resolve to do better. I did it. I'm sorry I did it. And I, and I promise never to do it again. It's more than that. To repent is to turn around, to, to change direction, to change goals. To repent is to change methods. To repent is to not to say, but to act like. To act like the good news of the gospel is not just true, but the truth. And once you've repented, what is this gospel that Jesus says that we have been called to believe? It's a gospel of truth. At the beginning of Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, which we call Colossians, he said, in our prayers for you, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope you have laid up in heaven. You have heard of this hope before in the word of truth. In the word of truth, this gospel has come to you. So we are called to believe in a gospel of truth. We're all, it's also a gospel good news of hope. Later in that first chapter 
of Colossians, Paul refers to the hope promised by the gospel that you have heard. We live in a world where just watching or reading the news can be overwhelming, can almost make you lose hope, if not for yourself, for, for humanity, for the future. But we are called to believe in a gospel of truth and a gospel of hope. It's also gospel good news of peace. In the sixth chapter of Ephesians, as Paul is writing about that whole, putting on the whole armor of God, he urges us, stand therefore and fasten the belt of truth around your waist, put on the breastplate of righteousness as shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. So we are called to believe in a gospel of truth and hope and peace. It's also a gospel good news of promise. In Ephesians, Paul says, the Gentiles have become fellow heirs, members of the same body, and sharers in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So we are called to believe in the gospel of truth and hope and peace and promise. It's also a gospel of immortality. <clears throat> in 2 Timothy, first chapter, we read of relying on the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, but it has now been revealed, revealed through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death, and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Jesus calls you and me to repent and believe in a gospel of truth and hope and peace and promise and immortality. And finally, it's the gospel good news of salvation. Paul writes in the first chapter of Ephesians, In him you have also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people. To the praise of his glory. So Jesus calls you and me to repent, to change directions, to turn around, to do more than apologize, more than confess, but to turn around and then to believe in his gospel of truth and hope and peace and promise and salvation. Can you hear your Savior calling? How will you respond? Are you ready to R&B? Are you ready to repent and believe? Thanks be to God.